Welcome to What's Happening in Harm Reduction, news and information affecting public health. Here's Mark Spahn. In recent years, the heroin epidemic has reached all social and economic classes and persons of practically every age group. This has created more compassion than ever since many people know of someone, directly or indirectly, who's been touched by addiction. But it's understandable that many people will have a difficult time wrapping their arms around the idea of a facility where drug users can inject illegal narcotics under the supervision of a medical professional. Here's Dr. Marianne Jauncey. Look, I really get that for some people, especially if you've not really thought about drug use, you've not come across people who who inject drugs, it is a deeply shocking, deeply disturbing horrifying image and nobody god forbid wants their child to be caught up in that and the idea of allowing it to happen seems you know an anathema i completely understand that you know 20 years ago i had no idea that this was the field that i was going to be working in but as a healthcare provider i have seen that it is good medicine and it is good good work that is being done by people who really care We wouldn't be doing it if it was making things worse for the local community. We wouldn't be doing it and the police wouldn't be supporting us if it was leading to increased crime. We wouldn't be doing it if there are adverse consequences associated with the operation of a SIF. We wouldn't be doing it if it led to people taking up injecting drug use. It doesn't do those things. If it did, we'd stop. If it did have negative consequences like that, we'd stop doing it. We do it instead because it's clearly being shown to have benefits, clearly being shown to improve the situations for the individuals and the local community. And at the end of the day, we might want to live in a drug-free world, but you show me one. You show me a drug-free world. We can't make our prisons drug-free. What chance have we got on the streets of either Manhattan or King's Cross in Sydney? So if we can't live in an ideal world, well, hell, you know what? We should just live in the world we've got and have a pragmatic as well as idealistic response that says, let's make the best of it and the best of it for everybody. And that includes the people who live in a society and the people who inject drugs in society. Dr. Johnson and I talked about the implementation of needle exchange programs, which began over 20 years ago in New York State, and how radical that concept was to many at the time. I asked her if she thought that there would be similar obstacles in the discussion of supervised injection facilities today. It's interesting. In many ways, I think the introduction of a needle syringe program is a a harder concept for people to get their head around. I think we found that in Australia. The notion of providing clean injecting equipment to known drug users. And yet in Australia, we've been doing that for nearly 30 years. And there's widespread public support because we have been able to prevent an epidemic of HIV. We've been able to prevent the spread of HIV to the more general population and we've saved millions and millions of dollars by preventing those infections. The next step, as I try and explain it, is what I do is not just offer someone a brown paper bag with clean injecting equipment in it, where I I used to, for the first half of my medical career, say, now you have to go away. You're not allowed to open that paper bag in front of me because that becomes illegal. I care about you enough to stop you getting HIV, but, gee, I don't care about you quite enough to stop you dying of overdose. So to me, 
a SIF is a really very logical, you know, next step from providing clean syringe. We have a duty of care. We also have a duty to provide a roof and some care and some attention as that person takes out of that brand paper bag the equipment that I provided them. I wonder in 20 years' time, I guess, if we haven't already got there, the discussion needs to be, and why are we considering it criminal for somebody to do something that doesn't harm other people. When I think, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a police officer, but when I think of what a law needs to do, it needs to protect the individual members of society. It's about protection and it's about safety. Where's the risk to me if somebody over there injects a drug into their own body? It's kind of a bit crazy that somehow, you know, you're protecting me from what? Nothing. What you're actually doing is creating more risk for them as an individual. So I feel that the shift is moving very much more towards why do we have these laws about criminalising people who use particular drugs and the criminalisation of the self-administration of a drug? What's the, what are the drugs that cause the most people to die and have injuries in, the, in, in both our countries? It's the legal ones. Nobody gets upset when I put a cigarette to my mouth or I drink a glass of wine, but it's deeply shocking to imagine me doing a line of coke or sticking a needle in my arm. I understand that. That's normal. It's as shocking to me as it is to you as it is to my mother. But what we need to understand is the reason and the motion behind that doesn't always make good sense. Be sure to listen to more of my discussion in Parts 1 and 2 with Dr. Marianne Johnsey, along with Peter Frerichs, formerly of the Frankfurt, Germany Police, and Senator Larry Campbell from Vancouver, Canada, on supervised injection facilities. Thanks for joining us for What's Happening in Harm Reduction. Share your thoughts with us at info at spawngroup.com.